Uh, we're in a series called Game On, and the idea has been that we are um, all players. Life is happening, and it, it's going on whether we like it or not. And if uh, any of you are football fans like I am, and you watch football games, you can see sometimes people get in over their head when they're on the field. Yeah, if, they, if the starter gets injured, and all of a sudden there's a, someone's going to go fill in for them. Uh, sometimes they'll say the moment's bigger than they are is one of the terms they'll use in our life. Uh, sometimes it might seem that the moment is bigger than us and that we're going through stuff in our lives that we feel like, man, we, are, we can't handle this. We're not equipped for this. And that life is going to continue no matter what. And so what we've been talking about is if you're a player in life, which we all are, and life is happening, wouldn't you want to be good at it? Don't you want to be a, a good at life? And what we've been talking about is Good at life doesn't necessarily mean you get the promotion and, and, and you, you kind of wor- work your way up and at the end you get a nice 401k and you can retire. Good at life means no matter what the circumstances are, you are not tossed back and forth by all the things that are happening. Good at life means that you are able to be wounded by someone else and you're able to forgive them. Good at life means that you're able to enter into relationships knowing that it's give and take, that we, 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 as Ephesians says, we submit to one another. That's what good at life means. Good at life means no matter what happens, you're able to handle it. And so we've been talking about this idea that we want to be good at this and that just being a Christian doesn't necessarily mean we're good at life. And that Christian could mean anything. There are liberal Christians, conservative Christians, Christians who've been divorced four times, Christians who've been in gangs and now they're not, Christians who go to church once a month, Christians who go to church every day. A Christian is just this broad term that you could apply to anyone. And so we, just, we started using the term disciple in this series, which really kind of narrows it down. And disciple is specific. Disciple says, Jesus, I'm in this situation. Master, how would you do it? How would you handle this situation? I'm in this, you know, if you go back to the football analogy, here's the defense I'm reading. How would you navigate through that? And so we want to be good disciples. And so then what we talked about, what we're talking about now is, are there traits, are there habits, are there things that good disciples do? And if there are, how do we jump on board and begin to do them? And so uh, the first week we talked about worship and we talked about that, that disciples, people who, who seem to be able to rise above their circumstances are worshipers more often than not. And we talked about what does it mean to worship? Does it just mean that, you know, even when the guitar string breaks, we can still concentrate? Like, is that being a good worshiper? And we talked about the number one thing of a great worshiper is they don't have any idols, that they serve one God. And that all through scripture, as God talked about the things about that annoyed him about worship, wasn't whether or not you have drums or not, or whether you play an organ or have a choir, or whether you're super passionate, or whether you flop around on the ground. That has nothing to do with it. What decides whether or not you're a good worshiper or not is if you have any idols. If you got an Asherah pole or an idol or your money or your car or some relationship right next to God, God doesn't even want to hear how you worship. And so that was that. And then we talked last week about the Word of God and how we have this, this set of texts, some of which are 1,450 years, or I'm sorry, 3,500 years old. And that it, it, through the process of, of, uh, Christi- of um, uh, God's 
working through humans to create this set of texts. You know, we're, we're looking at a document that we get to hear. It's the word of God, God's actual words to us. And we get the opportunity every day if we want to go into that and to submit ourselves to its authority. So we talked that good disciples do that. And this morning what I want to talk about is prayer. My friend and I, uh, we have this joke that whenever we get into a, a, a situation, um, we, we, we say, well, have you read the word and have you prayed? You know, it's kind of a joke, kind of like, you know, those are like the two things. Basically, all my sermons, if you kind of go back over them, at some point, I'm going to tell you to read your Bible and at some point, I'm going to tell you to pray. So when I get into this one, which is on prayer, it's kind of like, well, duh, it's like going to the doctor and they're like, you know what? You really should eat right and exercise. It's not new information, but knowing how to do that, having a plan, understanding kind of how to incorporate that into our lives, that's the big deal. You go to the gym, and kind of we talked about this in the discipleship making, you want to follow the person that looks like they're in really good shape. You don't watch the out of shape person and model what they do, you model what the in shape person does. And how did you get your biceps to look like that? How did you get your body to look like that? What did you do? What was your, what's your routine? What are some of the things? And that's who you listen to. And the disciples understood this. And we can understand that. That there is a person that we can look at in the Bible. And think, man, how, did, how do you have a prayer life like that? His name is Jesus. Okay? He's all through the Gospels. Jesus. All the white people are like, his name's Jesus? Wow. Yeah, okay. In any event. uh, And so Jesus was the one who modeled this the best. Jesus was the one when you want to look at, man, how do I pray? What do I pray? What does it look like to have prayer infiltrate my life? We look to Jesus. And let me show you why. In Luke, uh, all through the book of Luke, Luke touches on this idea of Jesus praying through these different chapters and throughout the way Luke tells the gospel story. And in Luke uh, chapter 5, um, let me get my glasses on, sorry. Hannah, can you make sure that's on the right program? Because it's not flipping to the next, uh, next screen for me. So just make sure it says present. We'll get there. And then hit the right arrow when you're ready. So in Luke chapter 5, perfect, thank you. Yet the news about him spread all the more. Jesus is in uh, a big part of his ministry. And the news is spreading about him. So that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often, often, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This was his pattern. Now... When there's large crowds and people are being healed, the temptation is to, at least it would be for me, to not really pray at all. There's just too much to be done. (laughs) Like, you got all these people, a great ministry is happening. You pray when ministry begins to kind of begin to crash and burn. This is not Jesus' pattern. He says he would often withdraw to lonely places and pray. As a matter of fact, right after Luke says that he tells the story of Jesus returning in the power of the Holy Spirit and healing this paralyzed guy. Luke seems to make this connection that because Jesus went off and prayed, when he came back, there was something that happened. There was a power of God that was resting upon Jesus in order to allow him to do these different things. Here's the thing we're going to be saying over and over again this morning, hopefully, or the the refrain that I hope you hear in your head. 
prayer brings power. That power might manifest itself in a whole lot of different ways. Sometimes it's healing right on the spot. I've seen that happen. Sometimes it's a transformation that happens to the person praying. Sometimes it's a transformation that happens in a community as we gather together and we pray. But prayer brings power. In Luke chapter 6, just a a, a chapter after this, it says, One of those days, uh, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Right after that, Jesus picked his 12 disciples. And so you get this idea that what Luke is trying to tell us through kind of how the Spirit of God is, is helping him write this, is that the, Jesus is about ready to make this big decision of picking his 12, and he spends all night praying to God. And as I kind of go over these verses throughout the week, I always ask myself questions. Why did Jesus have to pray if he's truly God and truly man? Wouldn't the God part of him kind of kick in? <laughs> like, and so it's like, you know, which 12 should I pick? You know, and all of a sudden it becomes, you know. But Jesus modeled this for us. Jesus prayed this all night was with his heavenly father. Again, in Luke chapter 9, about eight days after Jesus said this, he had said something. Luke took, uh, uh, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up unto the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Moses and Elijah show up and they're um, in glorious splendor, Luke says. And then they just start talking. You know, the three of them. Just chatting because that happens every day. You know, Moses and Elijah show up like and they're all like glowing. And they start talking about what Jesus must do and how he must suffer and kind of Jerusalem. But the disciples were there and they were so rocked by this. Peter wants to set up a tabernacle or a tent, a booth and, 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 and go by. And this is it. The kingdom has come. We'll just set this all up and we'll just have people come up onto this mountain. And, and this is it. We got it. This is it. And all of a sudden, everything kind of starts to fade away. And you hear this, a voice from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. (laughs) Okay, I will. Thanks for the booming voice. Incredible. But this is what's beginning to happen to the disciples. They're beginning to see that when Jesus goes and prays, he comes back changed. Paralyzed people get healed. People, the feeding of the 5,000 happens. All these things begin to happen. Prayer brings power. When, when they went up with him to go pray, you know, they must have been thinking, man, when he goes off and prays, is this what happens? He like becomes like an alien, like, like this weird thing happens every time he prays. And so when you get to chapter 11, the disciples, and rightly so, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray. Jesus' life was so radically changed by prayer. Jesus became, in, some, in one instance that we read about, Jesus actually changed into like a glowing angel type dude. And so the, the disciples begin to make this connection that prayer brings power. That, that if Jesus is going to do this all the time, if he's often kind of sneaking away to pray... 
can you teach us to pray? Now think of how amazing this is. They've watched him heal a whole bunch of people. They didn't ask him how to do that. They've seen him put like a little mud cake. He spit in some mud and kind of made it like a little, little disgusting little mud thing that he put on blind people's eyes and they, and they would see again. They didn't ask how to, hey, teach us that freaky mud spit cake thing. That was cool. Teach us how to, how do you cast out demons? Man, you just walk in. See, I believe they had connected the prayer with the power. I think they had connected, and hopefully I'll be able to show you at the very end. They had connected this idea that if you want to do powerful things, if you want to be a powerful person, if you want to be able to rise above your circumstances, a lot of it has to do with your prayer life. Consistent, authentic, real, heartfelt prayer. They were beginning to get this. Teach us how to do that. And I might be reading too much into Luke, but I think they're saying, if we know how to do that, this other stuff will just happen. Because when Jesus goes off and prays, he comes back and he's different. And so they say, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, they're not saying we want to pray like John's disciples. They're saying it's, you know, We're not asking for too much. Even John taught his disciples how to pray, even though they didn't have this kind of prayer. But maybe you could teach us that. And what happens next is that Jesus answers their question. Jesus teaches them how to pray. And in the process, has given us this gift. That, you know, oftentimes when we look and we see Jesus, you know, in the Bible going up to the mountain to pray, don't you wish you could kind of be there and go, man, I wonder what he was praying about. I wonder what he was asking his head. Why does he have to go? Was he up there like praying going, oh, this whole God man thing. We should have rethought this. You know, it's like I got to talk to these Pharisees that are so obnoxious or Peter's driving me crazy. Can you imagine Jesus is up there? Oh, Lord, Peter. Oh, like who knows? Who knows what he was doing? But when he came back, he was full of power and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus gives us his gift all of us here. He tells the disciples how to pray. And then through a movement of the Spirit of God, Luke writes this down and Matthew writes this down. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. One that maybe a lot of us have memorized in, in different settings or not. You know, do we say trespasses or do we say debts or, you know, any kind of di- di- different things. But uh, this shows up in, in, in uh, more than one gospel. And what we're going to do is we're, Luke actually has the prayer right after Jesus teaches it. But we're going to look at the Matthew version, which Jesus was teaching at a different time. Because it's the one we're all familiar with. The one we've all kind of memorized. And so it's just, it's, it just seems more natural to us and more comfortable. The difference between the Matthew and the Luke version is not really that much. It's just the Matthew version is probably what you've memorized. And it's a gift. That Jesus has given us. And we're going to unpack it. This then is how you should pray. Not what you should pray. Jesus isn't saying here's the formula that if you pray. When I go away. I recite this. And I come back all supercharged. (laughs) Like this is just the blueprint of prayer. 
Now, as a church, we pray this together, and we're going to at the end of this time. We're going to pray this Lord's Prayer together because it's awesome for us to uh, together to participate in this prayer because we have been doing this for centuries as the church of Jesus Christ. But this is the blueprint. This is how you should pray, not what. So let's go to the first one. Our Father in heaven. I want us to see first and foremost this tension that happens with our Father in heaven. There's the idea that he's our Father, and this is new verbiage for people who are in Israel. If you read all through the Old Testament, it's the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, the Almighty God. In this particular sense, Jesus is going, we can come to him like he's our Father. As a matter of fact, in another gospel, he says, we come to him and call him Daddy. There's an intimate, personal way we approach the, the, the creator of the universe, Father. Now, for some of us, depending on your father, you're thinking, oh, man, the last thing I want is an all-powerful version of my dad, you know? I mean, it's like, that's the worst thing possible. But understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying the way God knows how you were created, he knows everything about you, and if there were a perfect father, he'd be it. And you can go to him like that. Now, on the other side of this tension is that he's in heaven. He's all-powerful. He's almighty God. And so for some of us, as we put this blueprint on our prayer life, we have to ask ourselves, are we too much into the God is the God of the universe? Oh, thou art thine holy, most holy. And we're missing the personal aspect of God. To say, God, I am so frustrated right now. He allows us to do that with the father part. But then also to be able to go with a respect and a reverence to our creator. And so this is the tension. And so that's why I put the two pictures of you. You have like our father, which is right here. You're kind of sitting on his lap. It's so close and personal. But yet he's in heaven. He's our master, if you will. And so Jesus says, approach him on those two things. Understand who you're talking to, essentially, when you go in prayer. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. That's amazing to me. Sometimes I get lost in the Father part. That's my tendency, is to be more of God, my Father. I speak very normally when I pray. And I forget sometimes, whew, he's holy. In fact, in his presence, really, I shouldn't even be alive. As a matter of fact, A.W. Tozer says this. He says, I will never say holy, holy, holy to that which I've figured out in my own mind. Like he's so mysterious. We get to go to him as father and as this mysterious Spirit God who created the universe in a way that I can't even understand. That's awesome. As we go through each one of these sections, I'm, a question I'm going to ask you is, do you need more of one or the other in your current prayer life? You need to see him more as, as a dad and be able to talk to him about your frustrations and all that? Or do you need to see him more as the creator of the universe and come with more humility and more respect? Number two, this is the meat to me of the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Um, a lot of times when I'm studying for Sunday morning, I'll write out all these questions that I ask myself when I come to a particular text. And if I'm just having my quiet time in the morning, I'll do the same thing. I'll, I'll just ask myself questions. And oftentimes the Lord speaks to me in these questions. And so the question I had for this particular part was, at my expense, am I willing to pray this prayer to my own, at my own expense? When I go before my Heavenly Father and I say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Am I saying, at my expense, whatever you need to do in me to have your kingdom come and to have your will be done, so be it. That is a totally different prayer than just... Sometimes we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and the sickness doesn't go away and the person doesn't change and the job never comes and we pray and we pray and we pray and nothing happens and it's frustrating. And you feel like, why in the world would you allow this to happen? One of the things I wanted to do this morning, uh, every week we've had somebody share a testimony and this morning I I wanted... uh, Lisa and I to actually be the, the people up here um, because we have a situation like that in our own home. We have a son with epilepsy and we've prayed and prayed and prayed and you guys have prayed and we've done I've taken him to the elders. I've anointed his head with oil. I've taken him to prayer rooms. I've taken him to different denominations that believe whatever, just going before him, going before him, going before him, going before him. At the end of the day, can I say, your kingdom come in his life and in my life. Even when it appears that God isn't going to do it. And so how do we, on the one hand, Keep praying in faith because right after this in Luke, Jesus talks about, hey, when you pray, pray with persistence. He tells this story about this neighbor and it's a real weird kind of thing. And you're like, man, I guess I'm just supposed to keep going. And then after this, he keeps going and says, just ask, seek and knock. And when you ask, it'll be given to you. When you seek, you'll find. And when you knock, the door will be open. And you think, man, can I pray, God, your will be done. Your kingdom come at my expense. What if it costs me something? To me, this part is the blueprint that I constantly need to have over my prayers. Am I praying this for me or for his kingdom? And what if it doesn't happen? And what if his kingdom has to come in a way because I've got to go through something? You know what this sounds a lot like to me? The prayer Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, pray, he goes to his heavenly father. He knows the time is now. He brings his disciples with him. And he goes into the garden and he drops down in emotion and is stressed out and has drops of blood. And he says, Father, please, if there's any way possible, would you let this cup pass before me? And then it's almost like he just can't help himself but to go, but... Not my will, but your will. And then he goes to his disciples, and they're like, mm-hmm. you know, they're just like totally sans ease, you know. Just, he's like, guys, what do you do? You asked me to, yes, in chapter 11, you asked me to teach you how to pray, and now we're in chapter 15. You guys can't even, you know, stay awake. 
right? So he goes back again. Hey, God, just in case, Heavenly Father, you didn't get that first prayer with the blood and I was super stressed out, I'm going to pray it again. Please, if there's any way, but not my will, but yours be done. This is really hard to do when you're in the midst of trial. And yet, Jesus, the one who modeled prayer for us, says you've got to get this in there, in your prayers. God, please don't let me get laid off. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do, but not my will, but your will be done. Let your kingdom come, even if it's at the expense of my job. The people I know that I want to model my life after have this down in their prayer life. The problem is, when you pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it leaves this uncertainty that what if it really does come at my expense? How am I going to get through that? What if I really don't get the, what if I really do get laid off? What if my son can never have a driver's license? What, 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 what then? And that fear, in that fear, in that turmoil, is where we meet God at our most authentic and personal level. That, to me, when we say your kingdom come, your will be done, that's the heavenly Father. That's the hallowed be your name. When we say, but God... If this happens, I don't know what I'm going to do with my family. That's the our father part. Daddy, I don't know. And in the midst of that is when God says, I got it. I got you. But what if we lose our house? I got that. But what if, I mean, I, I, I get, I get, I kind of find a lot of my importance in what I do. Really, let's talk about that. Why do you find your importance in what you do? Why do you need that promotion? I got you. This part here, if we can just get that in our prayer life, we come out with the power of the Holy Spirit. There is a transforming power that happens in our prayer life when we can say, you know what, God? Not my will, but yours be done. And he goes on. Give us today our daily bread. Now, there's a couple things I want to mention about this particular um, section. If you're praying for daily bread, how often are you praying? Now, not bread, okay? Okay, I'll try it again. If you're praying for daily bread, how often are you praying? There, excellent, good. Daily. He said, I don't have to pray every day. I, I think Jesus prayed every day to his heavenly Father. Maybe not. I think often he stole away to be by himself, but I think every day he did. I think part of what Jesus is trying to get to us on how to pray is to keep that persistent, I'm going to go to my Heavenly Father. I'm going to go to my Heavenly Father. Now, in America, it's very difficult to pray for your daily bread because it just doesn't seem like God's really the one providing the bread. I mean, I have my job, and, you know, and what do we say? If I lose my job, well, at least I can work at Starbucks. You know, no, not anything against anyone who work, works at Starbucks, okay? So, uh, but, but you just say, oh, man, you know, I'll take, I can, I can do something. I'll take care of it. And if I don't, the government will take care of me. And in America, it's just hard to get this across. But for them, it, it was not hard for them to understand this 
thing, that God is responsible for your provisions. And that's a hard thing to keep in our minds as Americans when we just have so much stuff. And the stuff we're praying for is usually just more stuff. Jesus says, bring all that back. The fact that you have a job, the fact that you bring home a paycheck, all that comes from your heavenly father. Well, what happens if I lose my job? Shouldn't he get me another? He knows you can handle it. He's going to see you through it. And this is just the kind of this resetting I think Jesus is trying to do. Give me my daily bread. That's all I need. Because it's daily bread, we pray for it daily. goes on forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors i don't like this part of this verse i would like to rewrite it at this time and i would just say forgive us our debts right i mean just forgive me lord you know you're god of grace by grace we're saved through faith not of works blah 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 but as we forgive our debtors ooh, what does that do again again this is what god is interested in to be a disciple who has the power uh, of transforming prayer. They realize that as they go before God, God is much more concerned with our heart and how we're moving forward than he is in what we're actually praying for. And so to be able to go before God and say, forgive us our debts just the same way I'm forgiving those around me. And then I look around and I'm like, except for how I forgive this person. Because if you had this happen to you, you wouldn't be forgiven to me. There's no, don't even, you know, forget that. There's this idea that God, as I receive forgiveness from you, I'm going to extend it to those around me. Again, hard. We recite the Lord's prayer like it's a magic thing, but it's got really hard doctrine in there throughout the whole thing. Forgive me as I forgive others. Man, I don't like that. Just forgive me. And if you do it enough, maybe I'll think about forgiving that other person. But see, what God wants us to understand is that as we rest in him, as we come to him for our daily bread, as we look to see our circumstances and where the kingdom of God is going to take place, what happens to us from other people is small. It's minor. Now, now, don't get me wrong. Some things have happened to us in our past. Really hurtful, horrible things that have scarred us that we're going to have to deal with for the rest of our lives. But the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to handle that. That we, in fact, have done the same, if you will, to Christ. As he dies for all of our sins. And we say, man, we accept that blood now. As I'm cleansed, I just want to extend that to those around me. This is so powerful for Jesus. He talks about it not just for the prayer. He says, if you go and you give, you're giving, just put your money aside and go back to that person and make it right. No matter what they did, go make it right. Then come. That's the heart of giving I want, I want you to have when you come before your heavenly father. The other thing to keep in mind is that daily, as we pray and ask for, for, ask for bread daily, we ask for forgiveness daily. This again connects us with our Heavenly Father, who holy is His name. Hallowed is His name. So as we go before God, yes, we're saved by grace, but there should be a sense of God. Ah, forgive me. I've had this on my mind. I've had this on my thoughts. So keep that list short. And then finally, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. This is the idea that there is an enemy. There's a 
present darkness. There's a force, a worldly force, if you will, that is going to try to keep you from doing the aforementioned prayer. <laughs> and, and we might call it busyness. Like, why don't we pray? I'm just too busy. We might call it something else. We might say, I don't know how. We might call it ignorance or whatever. But there is nothing, as I look out over our church community, there is nothing that should keep you from going daily to your heavenly father, to the God of the universe. Well, I just don't feel like it. There is nothing that should keep you from going to your heavenly father. And the things that do are just world forces, a sense of entitlement. Maybe we already feel like we kind of have everything and we don't, we're only going to go to God when we need something. That's a great relationship. Can you imagine doing that in your marriage? Why don't you ever talk to me? I'm only going to talk to you when I need something. And then I'll talk to you. See how that works out. <clears throat> I've tried it. It doesn't work. Okay. <laughs> All right, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Don't let anything get in the way of our, my relationship with my Heavenly Father. As David returns, I want to go over something that I just think is so awesome. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus, before he gets kind of zapped up, um, he tells the disciples, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. I'm essentially leaving, but you're going to receive this Holy Spirit. The power of this Holy Spirit. And you're going to go out into all the world. They remember what he said also in Matthew. You're going to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What's interesting is after he says that, you're going to just have this unbelievable ministry. You know where we find them? Praying in the upper room. They weren't strategizing. They weren't like, well, he's gone and he ain't coming back. We better get on this thing. Their connection was, if we're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit is going to come upon us, we better get that power of the Holy Spirit. And we do that by prayer. And some of us, a large majority of us, have, have actually experienced that when you're praying. You'll be praying over something. Oh, Lord, I don't even know what's going on. I don't know how we're going to get through this. I don't know. I don't know. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you just go, you've got it. You've got it. You're in control. You've just sensed the power of the Holy Spirit. In Philippians, they call it a peace that surpasses all comprehension. And it guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And so there they are in the upper room. Well, he said we're going to receive power. Well, the only way to receive power is to be in prayer. And so there they are. There's a transforming that happens. So here's, here's what I'm hoping that happens for us this week. We're going to pray over the Lord's Prayer together as a congregation. The reason we do this is because we, as a group, as a family, as a community of those who are moving forward, all carrying the banner of Christ, saying, not our will, but yours be done. We all together kind of unite, and we say a prayer like this to just kind of say, we are in this together. And so let's do that, and then I'll, well, I'll explain what we're going to do. If you could just keep playing, because it sounds awesome. Thank you. Our Father 
who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.